So this morning as I was uh, waking up, and I shared this with the first service, I have this incredible message. Because last week we discovered something that as humans we often deal with a state of being incomplete. We deal with woundedness and scars. Life kind of guarantees you one thing, that you will go through many tribulations. To be honest with you, Jesus said this to his disciples, these things I've said unto you in the book of John, these things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace or may have peace. In this world you will have many troubles and tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome them all. Which means that you and I not safeguard to not go through it. It just means that Jesus has already been through what you're going through. And we discovered something that when Jesus was resurrected, we always have this internal understanding that when resurrection takes place, that what is resurrected is disconnected and healed from wounds, scars. Yet when Jesus was resurrected, he carried the wounds of the cross. And that's not the only wounds he carries, because the Bible says right now he's in heaven praying for you and I. And he says that's why we have an intercessor, someone that has deep compassion for us. Because you see, you can only pray for somebody if you've been through the same thing. Really. Otherwise, your prayer is good prayer, but it's not prayer that understands the pain and the struggle. He says, Jesus, right now in heaven, still carries the knowledge of the struggle of what it means to walk with your feet in the dust. And I walked away from that message because Jesus' wounds... No longer had pain, but they carried testimony. And Thomas, the doubter, needed to put his finger in Jesus' wound to believe. And last week I said to you that I believe that our greatest testimony to the world is not to pretend that nothing ever has scarred or hurt us. But that we have the wounds that people can touch to give them faith. That God is faithful. So today, the message that I want to speak to you is God liberating the inner self. Because what the world needs more than anything is people that are living in a true identity. And that is such a, a statement that means so many things to so many ears. But as was I was driving in, I said to the guys in the back, Oh, it doesn't happen often that I have a great message. But I know there is a message in the message, and I don't know what it is. But yet, what is so beautiful about God's faithfulness, as I'm speaking, you do know that I'm speaking to myself every Sunday. You're just eavesdropping. Right? I'm not speaking from a place of arrival. I'm speaking from a place of God inviting. I struggle. Sometimes I go, I ain't going to say that. I ain't going to preach that because just now you test me with that. I don't want to be tested just because I have a message. Uh-uh. I wrestle these things. I stumbled on this quote by Thomas Keating that frames 
what I really believe God wants to speak to us. And I promise you I'm going to do my utmost best because I so love the worship this morning. I'm going to do my best to AI short version, concise, the message. Thomas Keating says this sometimes. A sense of failure and a sense of not enough is what we carry as humans. It's a great means, if you allow it, to true humility. Which is what God most look for in us. I read that and go like, oh, come on. But what really struck me is that he talked about this constant cry of the human heart. I'm not enough. And sometimes it feels like, God, can you do something with that so that I don't carry that? But what Thomas Keating says, it brings us to a place of humility. But you see, we cannot truly come to a place of humility unless we first deal with the armor that people see. The me you want me to be. The me I want to be for you. So the Bible talks about a man, his name is Naaman, 2 Kings 5. His name means pleasantness. Now we read about Naaman in the Bible that he was, Scripture says, he was a commander of the army of Syria. He was a great honorable man in the eyes of his master because the Lord granted him victory. Now think about it. God granted him victory. But people don't know that God grants us success. And truthfully, we don't even know that God grants us success. It's like the woodpecker that was pecking away to create a nest for his woodpecking wife. I don't even know what you would call her. And as he was pecking, thunder, lightning struck. Bam! And he turned around and he said, wow, I didn't thought I had it in me. Because he thought his pecking was as loud as the lightning. And so often God grants us success and we go like, man, I'm really good at my job. And the Bible says about this man that he was a mighty man of valor. But don't you hate it? When somebody talks about someone, oh, he's such a great guy, but. Oh, you are such an amazing human, but. Because but is a contradiction that's going to tell you something that may take the mighty valor to a lesser degree. But he had leprosy. Now, when you read that, you think the whole story is about a man with leprosy. But you will come to, to discover that leprosy was not his problem. But you see, this mighty man of valor was decorated in the most elaborate armor. Because wherever he went, by what he wore, you formed an opinion. And you treated him in a certain way. 
And he did everything in his power to always wear his armor in public. Because he would rather die than you knowing what's under the armor. Because if he had to come out and show himself to be a leper, he knew that maybe they wouldn't have written this about him in the Bible. So you see, I think one of the big things that you and I are dealing with daily is not something um, uncommon to the human condition. Now I fly fish. I love fly fishing for those who fly fish. You know why it's so beautiful because you don't get your hands dirty. Um, and it is an art. You, you can go to a stream and you've got to find out what bugs they are eating on the day. And from this elaborate set of flies, you've got to find the right one. If you find the right one, you are catching the, all the, the trout and downstream. Nobody's catching nothing because their bait is misplaced. Can I tell you the ancient bait of the enemy over our lives? is always one of identity. Always. Because Jesus, the temptation in the Bible was about identity. If you are the Son of God. And you know how the enemy traps our identity? He traps it that you have no identity if you cannot. Because he said to Jesus, if you're the Son of God, Turn the stones into bread. Because if you can make magic, then people will see you as a prophet. Then he said, look at all the kingdoms of this world. If you worship me, I will make you rich. Because if you're rich, you will have identity. Even on the cross, they misplace his identity. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Always about identity. And the hard thing with the entrapment of the world we are living in, we are taking the bait of pseudo-identities. How do I know that? Because you put filters on your Instagram photographs. You pose in the right places. Whenever people take pictures of me, I always go like, do it gangster, do it from the top down. Because if I stand like this, I look six feet tall. I don't want you to think I'm five, six point nine. I want you to think I'm six, nine. We, we, we put ourselves out there and then we lie in bed at night and we ask, am I enough? And then you count the likes. And then you go like, why is nobody liking my pictures? I've been liking theirs all day long. I'll never like their pictures ever again until they like mine. What are you doing? You are doing what kids are doing. Look, mom. Look, dad. Am I enough? Am I enough? And the bait is, you make more money, you'll become enough. If you look a certain way, you might become enough. If you act with a certain valor and you wear a certain deflection of greatness, 
you will be enough. And unfortunately, our world is structured to support that. And I'm here to tell you that that is the biggest lie. You go like, well, are we never enough? I'm going to say this to you because you see this guy, uh, uh, Haman, Haman, is that his name? Whatever, go look him up. Second, Haman, Haman, Naaman, of course, N-A, Naaman. That's exactly what I said. You see, the unintentional product of finding our identity in the wrong places. And I've got to be careful how I say this. Because Jesus took his disciples to the temple and two people came in to pray. The Bible says first the Pharisee came in to pray. Now, the best way I can explain to you Pharisees, Pharisees, far you see, uh, they believe that when they die, they will be resurrected in the future. Sadducees, sad you see, didn't believe in resurrection at all. But they were deeply law-abiding people. The Bible says, and the Pharisee came into the temple and he didn't stand with anybody else. He stood all by himself. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. There's something to that. Then he looked up to heaven and he began to pray these words. Now, listen to the words that he is praying. He prays. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, I'm certainly not like the tax collectors. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. His armor was his self-opposed righteousness. Look God, I'm being a good boy. The tax collector came in and he too did not stand with anyone else. You see, it was different from him. He knew where the religious was standing. There was no room for ones that understood they had no value in the eyes of man. Because they were hated. They were seen as betrayers. But the tax collector was a God lover because he came to pray. He knew there was no room. The Pharisee stood where he stood, not because there was no room. He elevated himself above other people. I want you to know that when you and I live from a place of wearing elaborate armor for identity, we always look down at other people. We will pull people down beneath us so that we can feel better about ourselves. But you know what the Tax collector pray. Scripture says he didn't even look towards heaven. He was not poor. There was nothing wrong with his personhood. But there was something right with understanding who his worth was. He said, God, have mercy on me. Oh, I'm a sinner. Oh, I love that. You see... The difference is that he understood that without God, his soul was in utter poverty. But the religious man felt, as long as I do all the righteous things, I have no poverty in my soul. And I want you to know that Jesus said, I tell you that this man, 
rather than the other. When home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love this. You say, but what has this got to do with identity? What has this got to do with, with name? And what has this got to do with the thing in the message? Because Jesus said this, blessed are those who, poor, who are poor in spirit. Poor doesn't mean financially or spiritually bankrupt. Poor in spirit simply means I understand my utter dependence on God for my personhood and identity. Because you see this man, Naaman, there was a servant girl, a Jewish girl that was taken into captivity and she was the one that helped him take his armor off at night. So, I want to say this. Our freedom always starts when someone has proximity to us that knows God and speaks the truth. Oh, I would write that down. Our miracle always starts when we have proximity with someone who knows God and can speak the truth. That is why I want to say to you that for many of you, your miracle awaits when you say yes to the community of believers. When there's people that get to see the real you, not the projected self. Not the one that walks with swag. Not the one that postures, that knows you. Because she said to him, there is a God in Israel that can heal you. Now you say, oh, he's going to heal him from leprosy. Oh, no, I'm going to tell you, there is something else that God needs to heal him from. Leprosy was just the fruit of the other thing. So, do you know what he did? See if you can catch his real disease. He went to his king and said, would you send word to the king of Israel that I need healing? And he brought elaborate gifts to send. No, I'm not going to go and stand in line. I'm, I'm not going to travel down a dirt road. King to king. And the king of Israel, when he got it, he tore his clothes. He said, am I God? Really? So this guy go like, oh, dang, now I've got to mount my horse, take my servants, and he went to Elisha's house. I love how God works. Is it Elijah? I think it's Elijah. Elijah didn't even come out the house. This guy is the most decorated commander of the Syrian army. Elijah goes like, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. And the Bible says, when he heard that, he was angry. You know why he was angry? Do you know who I am? Then he said this. I thought he would come out and wave his hands over me. Because I'm a man of dignity. Why should I go dip in the Jordan? And then he said this. There are two other rivers in Damascus with clean water. Why you save me to dirty water? Oh, God knows to strip us from our pride. That is the jail of our true selves. Come on now. 
And the Bible says, he had to decide pride or healing. Now, can you imagine? Now he goes to the Jordan. He's got to get undressed. Now, listen, whenever you get undressed, close to nakedness, you get a crowd, guaranteed. You're going to be on TikTok. You're going to be on, you're going to be, everybody's going to see. The second thing I want to say to you, if you cannot overcome pride, your miracle will always be a mile away. Because God says, I resist the proud. For some of you, pride is going to kill your marriage. Because you say, we don't talk outside the house. Your pride is not allowing you to ask for help. I will tell now nobody about what I struggle with. Really? Pride is so costly. Pride is so tiring. Because you always have got to project what you think people are going to like about you. And you always look or the incomplete to speak words of completion to your incompletion. Can I tell you this? There is nothing that humans that are incomplete can say to another human to make them complete. Nothing. Nothing. So Naaman, he's going into the water and everybody can see his leprosy and he dunks for the first time and he probably thought it's not working. That's why God said seven times because for you it's going to take seven times of total humiliation to wash that humiliation off you so that God can heal your skin. But you know, the question is, what has Naaman got to do with me? Well, as I was thinking about this, I began to think of Paul. You know, Paul made a statement that is, oof, one more year and I can't jump off this thing. Gosh, this is ridiculous. Look, it's halfway my size. It's, it's like public suicide every single time. Hmm. Paul said something that is so interesting. He says, if anybody can boast in the flesh, it's me. Let, let me translate that. If anybody can carry away, carry elaborate armor to impress you, it's me. If anybody can walk in a place and you have a high esteem of that person, Paul says, it's me. And then he begins to list his pedigree. He says this, I've been circumcised on the A-day of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of all Hebrews. I'm in the top of the food chain. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. For zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I'm faultless. Paul says, I've studied under the best professors in the whole world. I know the law. I've memorized the Torah. I know everything. But Paul says, but there was a thorn in my flesh. Nobody knows what the thorn is. So if you go and buy a book and somebody says, God revealed what the thorn is, don't waste your money. 
Because here's what I believe that all of us have a thorn in the flesh. I have a thorn. Come on, how many of you, if God says, tell me one thing I can take away from you. I'm going to say, can we make that one thing six things? Because God, nobody knows this about me. But I wake up 3 a.m. in the morning. I overthink and I always think, am I enough? God, when I drive home after services, it's not a pleasant drive. I always say, God, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I do enough? Every time I drive to Sunday, I think, will this be my last message? Will this be the last time I ever look these people in the eyes? When people don't show up for church, I go like, yep, there I go again. I say stupid things. Always stupid things. I can keep nothing together. Maybe you're a mom and you look at your children and you go like, this, I, I failed. They're hooligans. I never should have had these kids. I'm a terrible mother. Am I enough? As a man, you look at your family, and you're close to retirement and you don't have enough funds. You go like, I failed. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough and not enough. And we say, God, take this away from me. Please take this away from me. And Paul says three times, did I petition God to remove the thorn out of my flesh? Because that thorn makes me feel like a failure. It weakens me. It caused me to walk with a limp. And surely those who've seen God should not limp. Surely those who've been touched by heaven should have their limbs healed. Surely if I have a revelation of God's sovereignty, I will not wake up and worry. What is your thorn? Because God, Paul says, and God answered me, my grace is more than enough. Now we go like, oh, hallelujah, that's so wonderful. It means grace can remove the thorn. No, it's nothing you think. Grace simply means when I know that what you think I am, I'm not. And I'm very clear, I'm a limping human being. Then I know when God does anything good, it's His power that's at work through my life. That is why I want to say this to you. Paul says, I will boast of my weakness. I will not hide my struggling humanity. I will not hide my heartache. I will not hide my uncertainty. Because my thorn keeps me deeply dependent on God as my identity. So church, I don't know what your thorn is, but I want you to know I'm not what you think I am, but I'm not an axe murderer, so let's just settle that. I'm not enough for you. If you are here because of me, that will run out and you'll go find someone else. I am not enough for you. I am not your savior. I am not your fixer. I am not nothing. All I am 
is a cracked vessel like you. And God is pouring out His gracious love in you and me so that through our brokenness, a broken world can touch us. So whether I'm preaching or not preaching, I am known and loved by God. And it's easier said than done. You know, for those of you who've gone through this season of empty nesting, and I'm almost done. Five more minutes. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, five more. And it's three o'clock. It will be good. Five more. Every, there's probably a lot more seasons that's harder than this. But for me, the emptiness season is really, really, really hard. I clean the pool, but nobody swims in it. You know that feeling? I clean the jacuzzi, and I'm sitting in the rain with an umbrella all by my freaking self. There I sit. No friends, no kids, no nothing. Two inherited dogs. Oh, gosh. The house is quiet. My wife doesn't love loud, like loud music. And then at night, I tell her, just cover me, hold me tight. Because as long as you say, you're the tallest, handsomest, Fabian stud on this planet. <laughs> Baby, if this is over, we'll go buy a little small holding of a month and get two goats. We make cheese and sell it for a million dollars. We'll plant flowers. Because together, is all we need. You know what God is saying? Even if you get no likes, don't let the wonder of you be determined by the lies of those who are incomplete. And you are seeking them to complete you. Be thankful for your limp. Be thankful for your struggle. Embrace your humanity. Invite others to the table to see you. I'm going to say this the wrong way. So, phrase it right. Naked and authentically you. That was the wrong music for that. Because people will love you more when you have the courage to be free from others' opinion, but deeply covered. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He knows my stumbling. He knows my falling. That is why I want you to know as long as I'm alive and the Father's house is here, 
He will never separate ourselves from any human, no matter who they are and what they've done and where they are on their journey, because there is place in our incompleteness for their incompleteness. And the God whose mercy is new for us is the God whose mercy is new for them. That's why I refuse to sit around the fire of them and us. I refuse to point to them as wicked sinners. Because Paul says, I'm the chief sinner among us, but God's grace. There is this beautiful song that I'm, we used to sing it in our home, my mom actually on Sundays. It says, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. My one defense is my righteousness. Oh God, how I need Thee. Just sing it again. I need Thee all. I need Thee every hour, every hour. I need my one defense, my one defense, my righteousness. My righteousness, oh God, how I need. I think that's the anthem of this message. That my one defense is that Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He invited me into his worth, his love. He adopted me. He adopted you. Now as scripture says, look what manner of love the Father has. That we are called children of God. With a lump, with a thorn. But his strength is at work. So that you and I will never boast in anything but Jesus. And his goodness for us. So, Father, I, pr I pray. I pray right now that this message, I've given it a second shot today. God, because I believe that you made us so uniquely, every human being can only truly hear it if you take the words and reinterpret it to our hearts. For we all in a different place we all wear different armor but today we embrace the us that are incomplete the us that are cracked clay pots earthen vessels the us that may not get the likes or the applause but God thank you that you free us, that we will not work for the acceptance of incomplete people. Because our defense is that we stand in right standing because of Jesus.
free us, oh God, to be free. In Jesus' name, amen.